talking about financial peace on earth. And uh, I love that I actually get to talk about this. It took me, um, it's taken me all of the two years that I've been pastoring our church since planning our church to actually get to a place where I think I'd be comfortable talking about the topic of money for multiple weeks. One of the reasons is because it's, it's all off of my plate now. And so I don't, I feel like I can talk to you and I don't have to worry about anybody thinking there's any kind of agenda. Um, We don't, uh, we try really hard not to do excessive things. Um, I don't, people think when you give in an offering to the church that it's going to the pastor, and it's, that's not the case. In fact, we try to keep all salaries under 30% of the, the total budget. And, uh, and, and my, my wife and I, we drive a five-year-old car and a 12-year-old car, one with a dent in the back of it, and, um, and we'll run them till the wheels fall off. We're, just, we're not here to try to get something for ourselves. We're here to serve you. We love you, and uh, we love our community, and we love this church. And, and uh, so we're going to spend three weeks talking a little bit about finances during the holiday season, but probably not in the way that you are used to or that you might even be expecting. So don't, don't check out on me early, all right? Because I know a lot of people are going, oh, here we go. It's the tithing talk. No, it's not that. Oh, here we go. There's going to be a special offering. No, it's not that. I just want to talk about how we can have some peace in the midst of a culture and a world where the way money works is kind of messed up and kind of backwards. And we don't do stewardship that well anymore. And so I want to I talk through some things. In fact, I've already started to see it. Social media posts from people. If you've, if you've gone out shopping, gone to the mall or anything like that, you'll see kind of this. I mean, it's the holidays, man. We should be smiling. We should be happy. But people aren't. They're kind of grumpy. They're, you know... Mama's punching another mama to get the gift she wanted at Walmart. I mean, I saw on the news the other day that cops had to come shoot. Two 50-year-old men were trying to rob Coles on Black Friday, and the cops had to come, you know, shoot one of them because he, he was driving off, dragging a police officer out the side of the car. Not our Coles here. It was in Minnesota or, you know, some those Midwesterners. They're so violent. And um, I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> So a lot of people, man, they struggle with different things throughout the year, but I think during the holiday season, those struggles kind of, they bubble up to the surface. And one of the primary areas that people are feeling pain and struggling with is in the area of finances, and it's in the area of money. And our culture tells you that you're no good unless you keep up with what everybody else is doing. Some of us will come out of the holiday season with maxed out credit cards and empty bank accounts, all because we felt this imaginary pressure to give the biggest gift and, and have the most presents under the tree. And can I just tell you, it's, it's not, that is not what Christmas in this season is supposed to be around and supposed to be about. And I've, seen, I've already seen it. Social media, I've seen people, I hate this time of year. I'm so sick of the holidays. I hate Christmas. And I actually used to be that way. I'm going to talk you through how my heart kind of got changed a little bit, how God worked on me. You look around, you've got, uh, I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, we've got the, every day they're talking about the Obamacare thing now and how it's going to mess with our economy, our nation is in deep debt. And, uh, and so it sets up this big question that I want to ask today, and that is, in the midst of a bunch of financial craziness, in the, in the midst of what should create a lot of stress for people, can you and I find some peace? Can there be some peace in the midst of all that? And I think the answer is yes. 
we can. There's some things that you and I can do that will help us get some peace internally, even while there's a lot of craziness externally. I mean, we can agree it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Anybody, are you in agreement with me? It's kind of crazy out there during this time of year. Anybody? No. It's crazy, Michael. Here, it's good preaching. All right. If you won't interact, I'll interact with myself. So I, I think we can. I think we can find some peace, some things we can do. And I, so I want to help you. And here's really what this series is about. I really want to help those of us who might be in financial misery step out of the misery and find some peace. Because that's even just the idea of money for some of us, just, we just go, oh, not that again. Do we really have to talk about that? It's, it's caused enough pain in my life. And what I want to do is help pull you out of that. Here's some things that this series is not. This is not a financial seminar. I'm not going to give you 10 steps to get out of debt over the next couple weeks. Um, I, w- I would say this. Peace can happen immediately, but fixing transformation of financial issues, that takes time. So I can't, I can't get you through that in three weeks. One of the things you can do when our small group semester starts up in, in, at the end of January, beginning of February, is you can find a couple of the different small groups options. We had a great one this last semester led by uh, Lynn and Don Vigiano where they were talking about how to, how to find blessing and how to live a blessed life. And uh, so those are the places where you can go and work through some of the practicals. We've done financial peace. We may offer that again uh, next semester. So those are the places that you want to go for those steps. What I want to do today is I want to get you out of the misery and help us find some peace. This series is not on tithes and offerings. I'm not going to talk about tithing for three weeks. So it's safe to invite your friends and family. <laughs> All right? That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to hit people up for money, and I'm not going to ask for special offerings uh, for three weeks. That's not what this... Although we should be generous, and we should do those things. I'm not afraid to tell you that. That's the truth of God's Word. You, we ought to give. We ought to be generous. But that's not what it's about. This is all about getting past the misery. If we're going to get past the misery, what we got to do is figure out what has caused the misery. And I think there's a cycle that happens in our culture that has repeated itself multiple times throughout history, and it's repeating itself right now in our culture. And here's what, here's what it is, basically, is this freedom produces prosperity. How many would agree that our nation, the United States of America, at least for, for much of our history, has been the most prosperous nation on earth? Can we all agree with that? All right, it's true. I, don't, I mean, you don't have to agree with it, but it's true. We're, we've been the richest nation on planet Earth. And freedom has produced that prosperity. Unfortunately, in our culture, we don't know how to handle the prosperity. We don't know how to handle the blessing. And so it's become normal to abuse the prosperity. So we live in a culture where there's prosperity abuse happening every day, all around us. We're abusing prosperity. We don't know how to handle all the stuff and all the blessing. And when prosperity is mishandled like it's being handled right now in our culture, I'm going to share some statistics with you in just a second. I'll prove it. When prosperity is being mishandled like it is right now, it puts us into bondage. So we've got this cycle that takes place. It starts with freedom. Freedom leads to prosperity. Prosperity leads to bondage. And, and then bondage leads to greed. Because when we're in bondage, we're stuck in the more, 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 more. I need more than that guy. Or I got to catch up with her. So-and-so's dressed better than me. So-and-so's got a better car. So-and-so's got a bigger house. Then more, 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 more. So prosperity, 
abuse, bondage, greed. And, and so we've seen that cycle play out throughout history, not just in the United States, but in other nations that have risen and become wealthy. And I believe we're in the midst right now of that, and our, our problems stem from the abuse of prosperity, because prosperity stirs up greed. And I don't think I have to convince any of you that we live in a culture right now where kind of the, the tune of the day is, I want more, and I want it now. I want more than I've got, and I want it right now. And that's why the season has become so warped. That's why the holiday season has become so wrapped up in materialism. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. It's not even Black Friday anymore. It's Black Thursday. I mean, you don't even have to have Thanksgiving at home. You can just go get your Wawa turkey bowl and head to the mall. You know what I'm saying? Just, Just go have Thanksgiving at the mall. So it's become this materialistic culture. Think about this. Christmas is the only birthday party where the people celebrating get the gifts. Every other birthday party on planet Earth, you go give a gift to the person you're celebrating. Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, and what do we do? We get ourselves a new TV, baby. (laughs) Give me another flat screen. I already got six, but I want another one. I don't have six. You, You might have six. And the season has become so wrapped up in materialism and is getting worse. And I think it affects, if, if we're all really honest, at some level, it affects all of us. It's like the guy, um, did you guys hear about this last Christmas, the, the wife that killed her husband? Did you hear about that? Yeah, she killed him. She, they got up Christmas morning and he realized he forgot to buy her a gift. He was in big trouble, and she had been wanting a new car anyway, so this was her opportunity. She said, buddy, if you want to survive this, there better be something in the driveway tomorrow morning when I wake up that goes zero to 200 in no time flat with a bow on top. And uh, she woke up the next morning. She was a little surprised when she looked out the window. There was a package in the driveway with a bow on top, but it wasn't that big. It was, it was about this size. So she walked out there, and she unwrapped it, looked inside, and it was a stack of bathroom scales. Yeah, he gone. <laughs> she, she killed him. It's a true story. No, it's true, yeah. Google it. All right. <laughs> Zero to 200, no time flat. All right. So some of you are like... All right. So I think we got to be careful because there's, there's actually a little bit of greed inside of all of us. Even in the church, do you know we've become, over the years, if you study the generosity of the church, over the years the church has become less and less generous. The, the church today gives away less than it ever has at any time in history. Check this out, looking at statistics getting ready for this series. Do you know who the most generous group of people are in the United States today? It's the poor. The people who live below the poverty line give away higher numbers and higher percentages of their income than anyone else in our country. The poor are the most generous. And the people who have the most are becoming the least generous. 
And I'm thankful, that's not us. I'm just gonna tell you that's not us. That's not our church. That's not the case with people who attend our church. In fact, the, the families in our church who give the most, I'm, I'm quite certain are families that are, are reaping the blessing of God because of their generosity. But that's not the case in the rest of our culture. The poor are the ones who are being the most generous. People living below the poverty line. Our nation, check this out, our nation right now is borrowing over $4 billion, with a B, $4 billion per day just to keep operating at the current level. You think your student loan's bad. <laughs> $4 <billion> a day <laughs> just to maintain status quo. You say, well, yes, it's, it's, yeah, but that's not the, the people. It's not the people in our country. It's not, check it out. The average American will spend this year 136% of their income. If you're not good at math, let me make that really easy for you. If you take 100 minus 136, you end up with a negative 36. So that means we're racking up 36% debt every year. What are we doing? That's not going to work. 136% of our income. Freedom leads to prosperity. Prosperity leads to bondage. Bondage leads to greed. Recovery takes time. Peace can happen right now, today for you. That's why you should get in the small group next semester, walk through it. But for now, I want to focus on getting some peace in our lives. I want to show you some things this morning that maybe we've bought into without realizing it. Even in the church, none of you, I'm sure, none of you, but I think there's some things, there's some habits that we've bought into, maybe even in the church, that have led us to this place of not being able to have financial peace. And I want to show them to you this morning. Let's look at a scripture that I think defines where many of us are today. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, yet true godliness with contentment. If you're using the old paper Bible, underline the word contentment is itself great wealth. Did you catch that? The Bible says having more isn't what makes you wealthy. Having contentment is what makes us wealthy. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough, everybody say enough, food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Well, that's a fun scripture. For the, and here's the verse we all know, but we often misquote, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know, we misquote that scripture a lot. A lot of people think it's money that's the root of all evil, and it's not. Money's not evil. If I go buy a homeless guy, a hamburger for lunch, that's not evil. But if I'm in love with the money, that's where the evil happens. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and perceived themselves, and sorry, and pierced themselves with many 
sorrows. And that's, I think, just a perfect description of where many of us are today. We're pierced and in bondage. And in this time of year, we've lost sight of what Christmas is really all about. I'm going to share some things that are going to, in this message, it's going to create some conviction for some of us. But I just want you to know that, like, I'm not sharing this at pointing a finger at anybody without having some fingers that were pointed at myself. My, my, my wife and I, um, used to, we used to kind of get, get at each other's throats a little bit during this time of year because I hated it. And now she's like, she is the Christmas queen. I mean, I had to carry like 14 Rubbermaid totes up out of my basement on my bum knee Friday because that's how... M- I see what's up. <laughs> Honey, when you come preach, where's she at? That's how many tubs it takes to hold all of our Christmas decorations. It lines an entire wall of our basement throughout the year. And I used to get, I would, she just tell, she's like, you are so scroogey during Christmas. You just go be in another room, stay by your, play a video game, leave everybody else alone, let us enjoy the season. And I'm going to tell you why that happened to me. Because I, like many of you, I was looking around at what Christmas was and all the commercialization and the money that was going back and forth and the advertisements and everybody's got to keep up with this and that and, and the, doing the debt thing. And I was just like, man, I don't even want to be a part. It's just, it's not even worth it. And I'd become very kind of scroogey. And if God hadn't worked on my heart, I almost missed out on an opportunity to do something powerful in our home because, hey, dads, we ought to be leading the charge for the Christmas spirit. We ought to be the ones who are, who are bringing the holiday festivities. We ought to be the ones most fired up, most excited. And so God did a work in my heart a couple years ago. He just kind of started talking to me about, hey, why don't, why don't, instead of just being a Scrooge, why don't you look at the opportunity you have here to create some memories with your family? Create some memories. Now I have kids and, and uh I was the first one to play Christmas music in our house this year. My, she was make, my wife was making fun of me because it wasn't even Thanksgiving yet, and I came home from taking my daughter out on our daddy-daughter date, and, and I'm humming Christmas music because we were playing it in the car. And, she, and then the other day, we're driving back from the mall, and, and we're playing Christmas music, and everybody's quiet. I'm singing along. I'm just at the top of my lungs. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas She's just sitting in the passenger seat going. And she asked me, she said, what has happened to you? You are not the same person. And it's because I've, I've, I've learned how to be content with where we are in our lives and, and let Christmas be about what it's really about. And that's about the fact that we've received the greatest gift we could ever receive. God came in the form of a man to redeem us from our sin. He took it upon himself. He did a bunch of stuff he didn't have to do. And now I get to be in relationship with him and I have eternity. And I get to celebrate it like crazy once a year. Come on, somebody. That's, we, can, we can have a transformation like that. Boy, I got way off my notes. What just happened? What was I talking about? Oh, there was another guy who had this issue. All right. His name was King Solomon, richest man who has ever lived on the face of the earth. 
In fact, in Ecclesiastes 2, he says this. He says, I denied myself nothing. If I wanted it, I bought it. I just went and got, if I wanted it, I got it. But by Ecclesiastes chapter 5, his tune has changed significantly. And so what I want to do is walk through Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and, and point out some truths to you that you may not be aware of. We may be living the opposite of these things. And so let's go to your notes here. Let's go through the issues that are caused by not having a healthy view of money, especially this time of year. Here it is. The, the first one is, the more I have, the more I want. The more I have, the more I want. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, those who love money will never have enough. Never have enough. Those who love money will never have enough. And I, I think, man, that's probably the biggest one out of all of these. Is we just go through life and we go, the more I have, the more I want. When do we get to the point where we kind of go, I don't, I don't need all this. What, what if we became people who, instead of getting as much as we can for ourselves, we started living life like, like I want to give away as much as I can. You, wanna know that, you know, that's our philosophy here as a church. I just want you to know that. When, when, we, when we sit down and we look at our budget for 2014, the big question that's going to hang over our heads is how do we give more away? How do we give more? I, I'm proud of you, church, because we... We don't just ask you to tithe. We tithe as a church. We give away at minimum 10% of our church's income every single month. And, and we, we give most of that to the ark. Actually, we give all of it to the ark right now to help plant churches all over the United States and now around the world. And then ark also funds organizations like, like um, A21 Campaign, who's rescuing girls from sex trafficking. You know, we're going to plant churches in Greece that are partnered with A21 so we can rescue girls off the street who are going to be trafficked. We can bring them in, house them, feed them, educate them, get them plugged into a life-giving church, help them find their gifts, turn it around and have them and, and let them be contributors to the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. So check it out. By, by the, I think by the end of this month, we'll have given over $30,000 to ARC to plant churches. That's enough to plant a church, guys. You've given enough to plant a whole church all by yourself. We're going to continue to do it. What if we started to live our lives that way, where instead of thinking, how do I get more? How do I keep as much as I can for myself? What if we started living life through the lens of how do I give away as much as possible? Man, that's what I want to do. That's the way I want to live my life. But if we get caught up in culture, we become like Solomon. He says, the more I, the more I have, the more I want. And then he says, and the more I have the less I'm satisfied. The more I have, the less I'm satisfied. He goes on to say in verse 10, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more I have, the less I'm satisfied. Then we go on the next one. He says, the more I have, <laughs> check this, this is true. This is so true. The more I have, the more others want it. The more I have, the more others want it. He said, the more you have, Ecclesiastes 5.11, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> oh man, this guy was smart. We see it in our culture today. That's why, and I'm not, I don't want to get into politics today, but you'll hear these phrases like redistribution of wealth thrown around. You know what that is? 
That's a culture that says, I'm going to help you spend it. I don't care who earned it. I'm going to help spend it. And, and can I just tell you, I, I'm all for some programs to help people get back on their feet. And I think we need to have those things in our country. And I do think that greed is out of control. But when we start going down that path, man, it's just, it's so dangerous. So dangerous. How many, how many you got, I, you know, I got sales calls on my cell phone on Thanksgiving. I got automated like sales pitches. On Thanksgiving Day, we're calling with an important message about lowering your credit card rates. And I thought, if it's important, I wouldn't be listening to a recording. It'd be a real person. <laughs> you don't do have a cell phone, you break it. I'm like, <laughs> Gotta change all your preacher habits to match technology now. The more I have, the more others want it. Here's the next one. The more I have, the more I realize it doesn't meet my needs. It doesn't meet my needs. You know, money does not meet your needs. Because all of us were created with a need for relationship with Christ. And finding the sweet spot in serving Him, finding the thing that you're a 10 at and He's gifted you to do, that's the thing that will meet your needs. No amount of resources will ever meet our needs. Ecclesiastes 5.11, so what good is wealth except, listen to this, perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. And then the last one, the more I have, this is so true, the more I have to worry about. The more I have, the more I have to worry about. Ecclesiastes 5.12, people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. And, and that's not a slam on the rich, by the way. What he's actually talking about is with, I'm about to sound like the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> with wealth, there comes greater responsibility. You talk to any, we have some business owners in our church, and I guarantee you they've had some sleepless nights because they're trying to figure out when cash flow gets tight, how to pay the people that work for them and keep their own Bill's taking, and, and at the end of the day, it all shakes out well, and they are wealthy, but there are moments where it's not that easy, where it's not, not going the way that you thought it would. So the more I have, the more I have to worry about. Okay, so, so here's the question. What do I do? What do I do with that? Remember, I want you to remember, this is about getting peace. Recovery takes time, but peace can happen immediately. So how do we get there? Look at Psalm chapter 62, verse five. It says, let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I'll not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge. Come on, somebody, it doesn't say our our credit card or our bank account is our refuge. God is our refuge. Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales, together they're lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. And I love the way the NIV version says that last verse, verse 10. It says, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. 
So if we're going to get peace, if we're going to fix it, you know what I think the answer is to figure out what do we set our hearts on? If we can't set our hearts on wealth, if we can't set our hearts on stuff, if we can't set our hearts on materialism, and by the way, write this down. This is a freebie. You want to know how you know what, where, what materialism is? People say this to me all the time. How do I know if I'm being materialistic or not? Or The other thing we like to do is point the finger at other people who have more than us and call them materialistic, which you shouldn't do, by the way, because you just don't know. You don't know what their story is. Here's the easiest way I know, the most biblical way I know to define materialism. Materialism begins where your income ends. Just think about it for a second. Materialism begins, you can make it personal, materialism begins where my income ends. So when I, when I go to the store and I see a shirt I like and it's $30, but there's not $30 available in the shirt budget, and I go to buy it anyway, that's where materialism begins. Materialism begins where your income ends. So what do we have to set our hearts on? How do, how do we get them pointed in the right direction? How do we find some peace in the midst of a culture where money makes a mess? Here's the first one. Number one, set your heart on giving, not getting. Set your heart on giving, not getting. And I believe, guys, that as a church, this is who we are. I don't think I need to camp out and pound you over the head with this too much. I believe we're a generous group of people, a generous church. And one of the things you should know, I know I joked about students not having a lot of income, but you need to know that a lot of the students who come here, they do, they do what they can. In fact, they show up in the giving almost every single Sunday. There are students doing their best to contribute something and we should never ignore, if you're a student who happens to be here this week, I just, I commend you for doing that. You know, it was Jesus who said to the woman who only gave a couple of coins that she gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had. And uh, so, man, I don't ever want anyone, I know some of the younger people who are just starting their careers and their lives, you don't, you think your giving doesn't have an impact. And I'm telling you, it has an impact because God sees it and you're sowing and reaping. Let's set our hearts on giving not getting. The giving doesn't have to be a present. It doesn't have to be money. What about our time? How many of us during this holiday season will set aside time to go love on someone, to stop by a nursing home and hand out some hugs or stop by a homeless shelter and serve? That's why we do Season of Hope, to get our eyes off of ourselves, to get our eyes off of the getting and to get our eyes focused on giving we need to get our hearts set on giving, not getting. What about your gifts and talents? What about the things that God has uniquely designed you to do? Are you, are you, is your heart set on giving as much of it away as you can? You know why we want you to serve in our church? You know why we talk about life track, which we're taking a break from in December. We'll be back in January. You know why we talk about life track and life team and why we're throwing a big party for our life team in a couple of weeks? You know, you know why we put so much emphasis on those things? It's not because our church will get something out of that. It's because we know that it's the, it's the healthy way to live. It's the healthy way to follow Christ. When you're hel- you, it's because you're healthier when your heart is set on giving. What about our resources? What if we got our family involved with Season of Hope? We got a printed catalog in the mail um, a couple days ago from World Vision. And if you haven't been on the website yet and checked out the, the gift catalog, and the first thing I did is I raced over to my daughter, Sarah, and I said, look, Sarah, we get to 
we can go through a printed book and, and you're going to pick out a gift to send to somebody overseas. We're going we're gonna to help a little boy or a little girl. I sat down with her at the computer a couple nights ago and showed her videos of World Vision and, and, and a little boy playing in the dirt with a soccer ball made out of trash. And I just said, can you imagine if that was our backyard? She said, no. I said, do you think we should help them? She said, yeah, I want to do that. So we're going to, you know, we want to create a culture of giving in our home. It's not just about getting. It's not just about unwrapping the gifts. Use those cards, man. Let's set our hearts on giving, not getting. Let's leave these things everywhere and be as generous as we can be. Here's Acts chapter 20, verse 35 in the message translation. It says, in everything I've done, I've demonstrated to you how necessary it is to work on behalf of the weak and not exploit them. You'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said, you're far happier giving than getting. 2 Corinthians 9.11, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be, come on church, so you'll always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. You know, that's really what it's about, man. We turn people's attention towards him when we're generous. Here's the second one. Set your heart on true riches. Set your heart on true riches. You know, there's one thing you can invest in that lasts forever. It's people. It's the only thing you can invest in that will last forever. It's people. The whole culture of our church is built around that. Investing in people. I'm going to post for you later today. I want you to watch for it on the church Facebook page, on my Twitter account or, or my Facebook page. I don't have time today to read it, but uh, Mark Driscoll out at Mars Hill a couple years ago released an awesome list of tips for dads during the holidays. And it's just, a, I think there's about 22 things on the list, and it's things like, hey dads, are you pulling out the calendar and finding time to drive around and look at Christmas lights? Are you finding time to sit down and go through some scripture and talk about what Christmas really means with your kids and your family? Are you taking time with your, with your children and your family to figure out who you're going to adopt and be generous towards and give towards during the holiday season? Because what we've got to do is we've got to get our hearts set on true riches. We've got to invest in the thing that lasts for eternity, and that's people. Luke 16, 9 through 13, kind of a long scripture here, but it's important says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And that's one of the scriptures that I love because one of the conversations that we have is leadership often with people is they'll say, well, I'll get generous when I have more. No, you won't. If I'm trying to talk someone through taking, it's a huge faith step to tithe. I understand that. If you're a new believer and somebody says to you, okay, yay, you're going to heaven, 10% of your income. You go, what? Are you crazy? Nope. And people will always say this. It's one of the things I hear the most often. I'll tithe when I have more coming in and I can afford to tithe. And this isn't a tithing message, but I just want to say to you, Jesus says that's not accurate. 
He says, if we're not faithful when there's a little, we won't be faithful when there's a lot. And so I would just say to you, but never mind, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Let's just be faithful with all of it. Come on, amen, church? Let's be faithful with all of it. In verse 11, it says, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some translations say mammon. He actually gave money a godlike name because people will serve it as an idol. Some people think that this scripture, when we talk about using your earthly possessions and and uh, your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Some people think that this scripture is actually talking about using your money to make friends and get leverage on people. And that's not what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about this simple fact. Money, every dollar that you and I spend has one of two spirits on it. We spend out of one of two spirits every single dollar that we spend. God's spirit or the enemy's spirit. Every dollar that we spend has one of those two on it. So that mean, Does that mean I can't go do anything nice for myself? No, absolutely not. God wants you to have fun. He wants you to have recreation. You can spend on things for yourself with a godly spirit on it if we're being generous at the same time. If generosity is a part of our lives. Money has two spirits. What he's saying is take what is righteous, unrighteous Because money by itself is is just a worldly thing. It's unrighteous. And what he's saying is, take what's unrighteous and and turn it into something righteous. And when we're generous, when we give away as much as we can and we set our hearts on true riches, we take something that's unrighteous and we make it righteous. Leverage everything you have for the only thing that matters, and that's people. Come on, somebody. I want to leverage everything I have for the only thing that matters, and that's people. The only true riches are people. And here's the last one, and it's a tough one. Because it doesn't solve any problems for us right now. It doesn't fix anything that we're going through right now to do this. But it's so important that if we're going to be mature Christ followers, that we understand this, and that's to set your heart on heaven. Set your heart on heaven. People who get it understand that this life is temporary. It's going away, guys. We're not all going to be here forever. You and I, we're going to die someday. We're not going to be here. And it's so important that while we're here, we set our hearts on heaven. One of the people who did that better than anybody I've ever met in my entire life was my grandmother. She just, I mean, you want to talk about what Christmas is all about? She would start at the beginning of the year because she made very, very, very little income. My, my grandfather died before I was born. And she basically, she, she retired from Internal Revenue Service and, and basically lived in a, a, a housing complex for senior citizens, not a nursing home, just a, a housing complex, a small one-bedroom apartment with the kitchen and the living room kind of crammed together. And, 
and and she had a, a social security check. I mean, she she probably lived on less than a thousand dollars a month. Very little income. And so she would start at the beginning every year. She would she would start. I don't know if she even knows that we knew this about her, but she would um, she'd get little trinkets, little Avon. Avon. Remember when Avon was big? My grandma was the Avon lady. I mean, she had she knew how to work the Avon system. I'm just telling you. And so she just little trinkets, little. She would knit and crochet little gifts, and 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 she would just store them up over the year, because she couldn't at Christmas time, man, she couldn't go out and just go crazy and buy a bunch of stuff for people. And so she would just, over the course of the year, every year, she'd just start at little inexpensive things that she could pack. And I just remember getting stuff from her. I'd look at it and think, I'm never going to use that, but I don't care because I just, I know the heart that it came from. Especially the stuff, come on, when grandma knits or crochets something for you. I mean, we called we called her Granny, and it just smells. You know what I'm talking about? That grandma smell, and you just just makes you want to cuddle up and hold, hug somebody and snuggle with somebody. All right, and that's what we got. From, and my grandmother, man, her heart was just. She was so in love with Jesus. Her heart was set on heaven. In fact, I didn't get to be there, but but my mom told me the story when. She was in the hospital right before she passed away. They were going in to do surgery on her, and the, they were all gathered in the hospital room, and it was high risk because of her age and, and her health, and, and so everybody knew that this might not work out. And, and so the doctor said, he, he said to her, and I'm gonna, I think I'm going to quote it verbatim. Mom, you can correct me if I get this wrong, but he said, hey, we need you to tell us. I mean, we hope this all works out, but you've got to tell us what you want us to do. If, if things start to go bad, how hard do you want us to fight? And my grandma, man, she knew where she was going. And, and my mom said it shocked the doctor. It shocked him later that he told her. He'd never heard a response like this. And she said, buddy, if I start going up, you better let me fly. <laughs> she, she, knew, she knew what heaven was all. And so listen, man, let's set our hearts on heaven because we're not going to be here forever. Let's set our hearts on where we're going to spend eternity Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Dan, come on up. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Let's get our hearts set on heaven. Would you close your eyes for just a second? Don't check out on me. Right now, this is the most important part of the service. Because some of us need to turn our hearts towards Christ today. For some, maybe it's a new thing. It's a first time thing. And that's what we would call salvation. Beginning your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, you can have that today. We can, you can start brand new. What a great Christmas it would be to go into Christmas with a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. And every Sunday we give the invitation. And I just want to ask if there's anybody here today who'd say, hey, man, I need that. I need to get my heart set on the things of God. I need to get right with Him. I need to get into relationship with Him. If that's you, nobody else looking around, would you just hold your hand up real quick? Anyone at all, just hold it up. I need a relationship with Jesus. I see it. see it. Anybody else? Real quick. Anyone else? Awesome. I want to give you some instructions. Just keep your eyes closed. In just a second, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you raised your hand, it's really, really important. I want you 
after we're done praying to get that connection card out of the cup holder next to you, fill it out and check the box that lets us know you're starting a relationship with Jesus today. Nobody's going to pester you. Nobody's going to show up at your house. We just want to pray for you. We're going to send you an email letting you know what the next steps should be for you to, to learn what it means to follow Christ, all right? So, church, would you join me as we pray this? Let's just pray this prayer out loud together as we welcome people into the family of God today. Come on, loud and strong. Say, dear Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. Come into my heart. I turn my heart towards you. Please forgive me of all my sin. Past, present, future. I make you the Lord of my life from this day on. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. Heaven is bigger this morning. Let me just pray this prayer over you this morning. I don't, I don't want to call anybody forward. There doesn't need to be any response time this morning, but I just want to, as we go into the holiday season, I want to pray a prayer of peace over you today. That, that we can be generous people with our hearts set on giving, not getting. With our hearts set on true riches, on investing in people, and with our hearts set on heaven, set on eternity. So would you just bow your heads one more time? Let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you this morning. God, I thank you for each and every person who's in this room today. God, our culture tells us money's supposed to work one way. We know your word says it's supposed to work differently. And God, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with the way you would want us to handle wealth and finances and resources well. We're here on planet Earth. God, we make a conscious decision today to turn our hearts away from what we get and to turn our hearts towards what we can give away. We don't want to be spoiled brats. We don't want to be spoiled Christians. God, we want to give away as much as we possibly can. God, we make a choice today to turn our hearts towards true riches, and that's people. God, that we would invest in people every opportunity that we get. And God, we set our hearts not on the temporary stuff that's here, but on heaven. Because we know ultimately someday, God, we're going to spend eternity with you and we just want to bring as many people with us as we possibly can. And I thank you and I love you and I pray that you would bless each and every one of us this morning. God, send us out of here fired up to be generous that we would have an impact on our city and on our community. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said. Amen, amen. Come on up, Brian. Let's give God a hand this morning.